Hey kids, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage for episode number 117, a special edition episode, April 2019. We are speaking with a longtime friend and colleague, the remarkable Camilla Shade. Camilla is a lifelong theater practitioner. She's a playwright, an actor, director, teacher, and so much more. Her new solo show, Bones, which deals with her struggle with cancer, will be making its premiere this coming May in Ithaca, New York. I know you write solo shows, and I know you've got a, a brand new one that you are developing uh, with a partner at, mm-hmm. at this point, and I believe it's called Bones. So why don't we yep. start with that? Tell, uh, t- well, tell okay. me about that. Yeah. It took a long time trying to find the title. Uh, couldn't. <laughs> couldn't quite find the title. Oh, you know how that can be. And and then we landed on on bones because that is a sort of a feeling like how I'm getting what I'm getting stripped down to. I've had uh, cancer for a year, over a year now, and I know I wanted to write a piece about it, but I didn't just want it to be. Um, mm, Oh, another cancer story. I know there's a lot of really good pieces about cancer out there. But um, as we were talking and how we do it, uh, my friend Kira Lalas and I, who I've written with before, will uh, ask me questions and I'll just talk, I'll riff, and we just put it all down. And then we go through it and kind of weed it and shred the chicken sort of and... um, then um, it begins to take a shape. And what in this piece in particular, uh, um, what it turned out to be was that I'm thinking way less about, it started from the beginning, that I was thinking way less about cancer than I was thinking about death. And that no matter all the cancer stuff that was pervasive, death, my thinking about death was constant. It was always there. It was like in the back seat. It was flying over my car. It was, it was always there. It took me a while to come to that. And when I finally realized that that's what was going on, it was an explosion went off in my head. And I thought, yeah, I, this is what I think about. I'm thinking about death and I'm going to think about death and nobody can dissuade me from that. There are a lot of people who don't want you to think about death. Well, death is a fairly <laughs> scary thing. thing to have facing you. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah, I've gotten kind of used to it. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, the big, the biggest, yeah, well, it's, it's people think it's morose or, or what is the thing I get a lot of? Well, oh, well Camilla, we're all going to die. I think, hmm, I know what I'm going to die of, and I get to own that. And you can't say that because you don't know. Yeah. Or it's the other one. It's the, oh, well, think positive. You just think positive. Mm. (laughs) Like, that's the panacea for everything. Yeah, right. Like, thinking about death is not necessarily, I I can't call it a negative. I'll think positive about thinking about death. (laughs) It's one of those situations where where you people have absolutely no idea just what to say to you. Right, and it, exactly, people do not know what to say. And it, what do you say? I, There's I, not much I have to no say. words for this. Yeah, and yeah, so people are doing their best. 
Um, but um, sometimes I feel like I need to set that straight. Yeah. <laughs> that here, 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 yeah. Oh, I think it's uh, at our Cancer Resource Center in Ithaca. Our our director um, Bob Ritter had written a book about what not to say to people in who have cancer. That was very, very helpful. But people are just trying to say their best, do yeah. their best. Uh, yeah. One another one of the hard things you tell somebody you have cancer or the, the all that, and they say, "Oh, um, oh my gosh, yeah, my uncle has cancer," and then you get your the uncle's story forever right. and a day. And I'm thinking, "Wait a minute, I'm right here." <laughs> <laughs> so I knew I wanted to do I wanted to do something, on, uh, and this is what's come up, and it began to take its own shape. What was the process like? So I said that I made a timeline of what had happened from um, my early <clears throat> symptoms to the diagnosis to the treatment. In terms of that, I began talking about what my thinking was through the whole thing or odd things that would happen, like one day driving home and this huge bird just flew up in front of my car and uh, flew there. It was enormous. It was gigantic for about for several yards down the road, just flying right in front of my car. And I thought, holy crap, holy crap. And it was a turkey vulture. Mm, yeah. And w what harbinger of death is there but that? And um, I would have these things like that all the time. And so I started talking about those. And then in the process of just, uh, we would we were scribing everything. We were just scribing everything. I was saying, um, in the process of that, I realized, oh, 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 wait a minute. One, one thing was um, we talked about an early idea I had had about being at a restaurant, going to a restaurant and waiting for your dinner partner to show up, not knowing who that was. And I had no idea how, where I was going to go with this, but oh, the dinner partner doesn't show up. And then at the end of it, Kira said to me, maybe that dinner partner is, is death. And it was like my head blew off its stem. I, and I thought, holy crap, that's exactly it. That's exactly, that's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about um, what death is and, and, and what is it. So it takes a lot of forms in the play. I, I go through things I think about death being, oh, you know, the Grim Reaper, my mom, all, all these death things that you're brought up on and how they, they kind of, uh, what do I cling to? What is, what is my version of it? So that's, that's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about in yeah. the play. Personalizing your own death. I can't even begin to imagine that kind of project. It's different if I were 40s or, you know, 45, 50 even, it would might be different or might have a different notion to it. I might be clawing and fighting um, harder when we talk about battling cancer, the big battle. And at 66, I'm thinking, I don't, oh, I don't know what kind of battle this is. I don't know if I'm, uh, if I can do this. <laughs> But I can think about that. I don't have to worry about it. Like if I were 40 and facing cancer that way, there's a whole different 
bunch of things at stake, but I don't have those anymore. I've always known you to be one of the most vibrant, creative persons that I've ever met in, you know, in this weird, ridiculous profession that we do. And I've always known you to take those chances, jump off the wall, dance naked or whatever it is that you want to do. And you've always pushed the envelope. There are so many stories that I have about you that people just look at me and, and shake their heads. I mean, I, the first night I met you, I didn't even actually meet you that night because I avoided you like the plague because you and Bruce, your husband, were at a Halloween party dressed up like the NSA reporting on people. I literally stayed as far away from you guys as possible. Um, and I, I, I had the honor of officiating at your wedding, your, yours and Bruce's wedding, and it was pretty much, you know, the usual kind of afternoon summer wedding thing, except for the fact that you made us all wear red clown noses. Yeah. Just to take some of the levity, mm -hmm. you know, and, and high point that and just make it more of, of a... A wonderful, joyous occasion until I realized I couldn't read my book with this big red clown nose blocking my vision. <laughs> I'm sitting yeah. here thinking about you, you as I know you, as this, as this wonderful, cheery, always with a smile kind of crazy person trying to deal with this concept and trying to put it into a show. And mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, and it's i would love to be a fly on the wall of this process just to just to see how it goes when does the show go up we're doing two free performances in ithaca on uh, the 1st and 2nd of may uh, and I will, yeah, it's what I call a monologue reading. I can't memorize lines and my brain is shot, chemo head. So I'm, I'm sitting there reading. And uh, so that happens two days in Ithaca. And then I go down to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where I had lived a great deal of my life. And I'm doing it there for one night. Okay. Where are you doing and, it in Ithaca? Uh, at Ithaca at the Cherry Arts Okay. Uh, on Cherry Street. Yeah. The company I was working with before all the crap hit the fan yeah it's free uh, i i guess you just walk in uh -huh. yeah and it's uh i'm giving it a daytime uh real like uh, a wednesday at one o'clock and a thursday night at, at uh seven okay you said yeah free, and then i think um, it would be great if people could you know on the side make a donation to some kind of cancer research in lieu of i guess so yeah yeah yep I have a particularly rare uh, ovarian uh, cancer called triple MT. It's a aggressive, rare, and so there really isn't a whole lot to be done about it. I've been doing chemo for forever and ever, 15 yeah. months of chemo. And that's just been trying to keep it at bay, basically. Just keep it at bay. I think what has kept me... Uh, going or my impetus as an artist as is a very insistent uh, inner child, and that has been my spokesperson for pretty much all my arts arts work. You have a very active inner child. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I do. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's <laughs> that's always been one thing about you that's absolutely amazed me is just that you know you you bite into these things and 
it's like seeing a, a child jump into these things with joy and wonder. You had a role in one of my plays uh, a number of years ago, and it's it's the first bit was a solo poetry piece, the worst poetry I've ever written in my life. And <laughs> I remember you just you just you you jumped on stage dressed in in a hospital Johnny, and were running this poetry rolling around the floor and over-dramatizing it. And as far as I was concerned, the play was over then. That was that was worth it right there. Um, <laughs> you, took, you took my words and made, <laughs> and made them what they should have been. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was one of those, well, what have I got to lose here? <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. So... I, I, want to, I want to go back to um, your work. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, you're, from what I know of you, aside from that one uh, and maybe one or two other performances, you're a solo artist, and you've been writing your own shows for a number of years. Uh, how did you find this niche? Why did you settle into this? And what's different about it from, let's say, working with a company, which is probably the most obvious question I've ever asked anyone? Years ago, I was working with a company called The Independent Eye. We were doing all sorts of works, and I was thinking, this isn't enough for me. So in order to um, make it worthwhile for me to stay, um, I, Conrad Bishop uh, wrote, with based on my improvisations, uh, a piece called Le Cabaret de Camille. And I uh, just started this it was a one woman show and I particularly liked it because I was the only one I had to rely on. I, I find it, I want to sound really nasty, but I find it really kind of irritating having to <laughs> times rely on people on stage. Hey kids, you're listening to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio. Thanks for being here with us for episode number 117, special edition, April 2019. We are speaking with a longtime friend and colleague, the remarkable Camilla Shade, one of those incredible talents who does it all. Playwriting, acting, directing, teaching, you name it, she's been there. We're discussing her new solo show, Bones which deals with her struggle with cancer and will be making its premiere this May 1st and 2nd in Ithaca, New York at the Cherry Art Space. I feel better. I feel like I can go off in areas and don't have to worry about other people. Um, I can... Um, and, and it's... I'm, I'm a really nice person to be on stage with, and I've been in a zillion plays that I've, I've loved, but I, I do think solo performances, uh, um, it, 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 uh, I don't know what to say. Uh, it's mine. I just, I, I'm in control. Yeah, I'm in I, control. And I think that kind of says it all. Bad show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, I, I don't have to memorize anybody else's lines. I, I think I panic a little. Uh, uh, I, and as time has gone on and it's been harder to memorize, I, I panic. I, I think I can find out what I am saying. If I lost my way, I could find what I am saying. But if it's in relationship to somebody else, right? I don't know how to back that up. Uh, so 
it really is kind of easier to be. Uh, yeah, that yeah. makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I I know from my time on stage that, yeah, and and I've dropped lines, and it's the worst feeling in the world. Um, I don't think I've ever felt anything worse than looking at my stage partner yeah. and having absolutely nothing, and realizing that all of a sudden there's this you know this this couple of second gap in the play that feels like about four hours, and. Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible. horrible. horrible, horrible. Oh, my God, the panic. It's it's the worst thing in the world. But, yeah, uh, being on stage, you are in control, and you can go anywhere, and you can just keep talking, especially if it's your own show. And who's going to know the difference? Right. Who's going to know the difference? I did have one of those moments I was doing a one-woman show called Performing Therapy from years ago, and I do remember on stage, I just suddenly thought, what comes next? And it just suddenly didn't have any rhyme or reason. Did I do that part, or do I just go and go where I think I'm supposed to go? It was just <laughs> horrible. So it can happen. Yeah. It, yeah. It, and it's not like I can just make it up uh, unless it, it used to be. It, I used to do a lot of improv, and um, you know when you're it, 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 you. So there's a, your left side of your brain and your right side of your brain. And the left side is where you've memorized all the lines. You've memorized these lines. And then, uh-oh, cannot remember. So you have to cross the bridge to go over to the other side to get words to improvise until the other side comes up with it. But that bridge has gotten longer and longer. So if I go up on a line, it's a really long way to get to the other (laughs) side. (laughs) I know the feeling. I'm 59 at this point. I I I can't memorize a shopping list. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, My wife is constantly saying, did you write that down? Like, write what down? Yeah. 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 Yeah, right. And oh, I, did, I did a Shakespeare um, a little bit ago, and it became for me about remembering lines. Yeah. And that, I, I thought, I can't do this again. That was too bad. Well, Shakespeare's tough in the best of situations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was playing Prosper Ah. That's that, yeah. one's, that one's quite wordy. Yeah, she do go on. She'd be full of herself to the max. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You are also a teacher and you've taught theater to, oh oh my gosh. I mean, so many different people. I've always tried to picture you when I think about this in a classroom full of kids and the chemistry in there must be wonderful. What's it like for you? It's, it's great. I mean, I, I go in, it's a performance. I go in as a performer. I perform for them and give them license to do the same, I'm hoping. Uh, it's, uh, they, try, they try and trick me. Um, I try and do fart jokes, and I tell them, <laughs> oh, no, oh, no, you don't. I have it over you with fart jokes. I have a remote control fart machine, so you can't, you can't, you can't win with this fart stuff. So yeah, fart, which I do. I I have a remote control fart. <laughs> and um, 
<laughs> Why does that not surprise me at all? <laughs> and um, in, oh, I don't know, it, uh, it, it's the making a, the link between their imagination, just uh, going back to imagination, that imagination is what solves your problems. Imagination is where it, where the magic is. Uh, so that's what we try and try and do. We it, it's it's rough because we've got a structure. They they don't understand the pedagogy. Nobody's going to under the pedagogy of it is that they don't understand what they've been through until the end, because we in in these I'm speaking particularly of these residencies in the schools. Yeah. I do these residencies in the schools, so I go into the school. And we have a subject on a, curric- a curriculum subject that's been chosen by the teachers, and we are going to make a play about it, and they get to perform it for classmates for the school and in a theater, in the hangar theater. So um, I'm trying to um, impose a really uh, uh, find our structure within which we must work, but within which we can paint. Um, a really wonderful picture for an audience. So there are a lot of concepts going going on in there. Uh, but I, uh, it's uh, uh, their work is um, based on play. Right. Uh, we we play a lot. We improvise. We write it down. We create scenes, or they do, and and then actually it all goes into my lap, and I create the piece that they can perform. Which is good because I have a, usually a better sense of timing than they do. Well, yeah, well, probably. I mean, this sounds like so much fun. Why were you never in my classroom? Yeah, really. Yeah. yeah. So I have a zillion. I have a zillion of these these plays. A zillion of these little classroom plays. We discuss math and personal values and the Haudenosaunee and the uh, oh gosh, settling of America. Oh. Does one of them in yeah, particular I mean, I stand out that they got? so into that, you know, it seemed to take on a life of itself? Well, um, you know, when we did, I had them, it was about Ellis Island. So I had them each create a character who was coming to the United States. We, uh, there were some who were coming to the United States, and then those, and then some created characters of the people who worked on Ellis Island. So they all had great ownership, and they had, we gave them backstories and um, and uh, little bits of costuming, and they were very into it. They were they really owned that. Where did you do that? In Dryden. Okay. Um, in uh, yeah, outside of Ithaca. It seems like it hit them on a on a very almost personal level. In a sense, were, yeah. were they starting to wonder and explore about their own lineages and history? Did they come out of this with a different idea of, let's say, the demographics yeah. around them? Yeah, I had them go home and ask their parents um, about their lineage. Um, some some kids knew a lot. Some did not know anything. Uh, where did they come from and how did they get here? Does anybody know if they're they're ancestors had come through Ellis Island. Um, and, and, and so, so, it, it, and so a lot of them, oh yeah, they, they needed to be coming from Ireland because that's where their, 
their families came from. Yeah. Um, but we had, oh, we did, it was Italians, Hungarians. So I, I went and I looked up some really simple words uh, that they could use that we could actually speak in another language because uh, oh, these poor people, they come off the boat and nobody talks like them. <laughs> How scary it was. You're in a line and boom, this. And I look at your head for lice and stamp you for this and stamp you for that. We'll do in quarantine. And uh, was it must have been a terrifying, it must uh, have been. Yeah. terrifying thing. And yet here is their liberation at the same time. So all these hopes and dreams, which was very, very heart, heart taken by these fourth graders. Uh, what, what are, what you know? When you were, if you were, if you were a child, if coming to the United States, what was, what were your hopes and dreams for your family? And it's nice to yeah. give youngins that kind of perspective because they grow up in their own world, in their own sort of safety. The the, the world has been defined, but. These other characters have to abandon all of that and go someplace completely, completely foreign, completely new. It's very hard to imagine. All yeah. Of the, yeah, all of everything. You leave everything you know. For right, and for some some. of these kids have never, ever, ever even been out of Dryden and been to Ithaca. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's so. another subject. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I hope, I've hoped they've had really good experiences. Kids, of course, then they get older and I don't, you know, you don't recognize them anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they'll, yeah. They don't stop you in Wegmans the way they used to. <laughs> they become people. <laughs> or, or look at you, or, or look at you like, oh, oh my God, uh, you have a life outside of the classroom. Oh, <laughs> this shit. Uh. oh my God, you're a real person. <laughs> no, I, I had a, you know, it was, it was interesting. I, I watched, um, uh, with love from Gilda, or Gilda Radner's piece oh, yeah. on uh, which I haven't seen on on the on, on Netflix or whatever last night, and uh, I was very struck by how a lot of us are so informed, us actors uh, from our childhoods, and that my childhood was a lot of dancing around in the living room like mad for my parents. And those were, that was my first audience. And, um, and they were very appreciative audience. And then the theater was a saved me in high school. I was not, um, an in crowd kid and, uh, I was fairly soundly rejected and when I did the play festival at the end of the year and uh, did super well I suddenly became um, a celebrity mm. uh, and totally changed things around for me and then <laughs> though I do remember when I was a sophomore in high school I would come home from school uh, with headaches from trying to be funny <laughs> wow Yes, I was so funny. I was just so darn funny. And then so one of my uh, friend's brothers said, you know, Camilla is a really nice girl, but um, uh, nobody's going to want to date her because she's too funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, no. Somebody's imagination wasn't up to par, I can tell you that much. Yeah, so that really, I, I just had to sympathize, empathize with Gilda Radner, it was very uh, kind of similar situation. If we're lucky, we find our place, and I know for a fact you found yours, and and you're one of the lucky ones. You've been living it like like crazy. It, I think it worked out for you. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, it did. It, it was, um, oh, I did have, uh, yeah, moments of thinking this, I don't know, but there was, I felt fairly driven. Though I, I think my life it had, a, uh, it was dealing with a whole lot of internal stuff that kind of was a, stopped me from doing as much as I, I think maybe I was capable of, but mm. but maybe those are just the regrets you have. You think, ah, oh, shoulda, woulda, coulda, and uh, this and that. But yeah, but life know, gets in the way anyway. So yeah, and and after a while, I, I sort of feel well. This is that's the life. This is the life I I I lived. This this is the life I lived. That's yeah. my story. Um, and no, it's not the what I had set out for it to be, but now when I look at it, oh yeah, oh that's that girl's story. That's that's pretty something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I agree. Well, thank you, Camilla, yeah. so very very much for um, giving us the time and and talking about so many different subjects, both wonderful and difficult. I would love to come see your show. I'm hoping it's going to be taped because right now I'm a little far away. Yeah. Everybody else yeah, who's out that. there and hearing this, please mm-hmm. go see Camilla's show because I know it's going to be typical yeah. Camilla, which means it's going to be wonderful. So thank you very yeah. much. The title of the show is Bones, B-O-N-E-S, Bones, like the ones you've got in your body. Mm. And I'm is being performed on um, May 1st and 2nd. On the 1st, it's at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And on the second, it's seven o'clock in the evening, and it is free. Wonderful! All right, looking forward to this, and that will be at the Cherry Art Space on Cherry Street in Ithaca, New York. Well, thank you, and thank you, George, for marrying us. Um, uh, we're still married. Yay! So was, uh, All right. Yes, that. it worked. Heart. That was one of the most fun things <laughs> I've ever done. Oh my gosh! <laughs> it was an honor. Well, thank you, George. Thank you very, very much. Anytime, Camilla. Anytime. Hey, kids, thanks for listening to On Stage, Off Stage. On Stage, Off Stage is produced monthly, and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at On Off Stage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or work in a part of theater we haven't covered yet or know of someone in the theater world, Who'd make some great chat? Please send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. Onstage Offstage believes in and advocates for a world where all people are free to live their lives as they wish, in peace and without fear. We believe in universal respect, diversity, and equality in all areas of life for all people, no matter what their nationality, race, religion, age, sexual status, or gender. Onstage Offstage will never promote or endorse those who seek to diminish others because of who they are. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again, and happy theatering to all of you. (laughs) 